Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Hello, friends. Welcome to week two of Locked On ACC. This is Monday, February 10th, 2020. I'm Brian Wilmer. I'm your host. Glad to take you along for another week of ACC Sports. Going to be fairly basketball heavy today, as you might imagine. A lot to look back on from the weekend. A lot to look ahead to for this week. Also, hopefully, sneak in a little bit of softball. There's a reason why. And maybe a funny story or two, but we'll see. If you want to contact the program, you can do so on Twitter. Follow us at LockedOnACC. You can also email the program LockedOnACC at gmail.com. Let's go ahead and get started because we don't have a lot of time and I want to make sure that we cover everything. So let's take a look back. As you might imagine, we'll talk quite a bit about Duke Carolina. That'll be coming up in another segment. So hang around for that. But let's start with Florida State Miami from this weekend. We'll go in chronological order to be fair. Florida State beat Miami 99-81. Close game at the half between the two. Florida State led just 50-47, to then outscored the Canes 49-34 in the closing 20. Miami had a sight for sore eyes. They welcomed back Chris Likes. Good to have him back. Miami's been really thinned out due to a number of reasons, but Chris Likes came back. Only scored eight points in 21 minutes, but good to have him back, at least, if you're Miami. Isaiah Wong led the Canes. He had 23 on 8 of 12 from the floor. Sam Wardenberg, 15. Harlan Beverly, 14. DJ Vasilovich, 12 for Miami. Miami had 24 points off of Florida State turnovers. They scored 15 points in transition. Both fairly key numbers. Not enough to win the game, but both fairly key numbers. Patrick Williams and MJ Walker paced five Seminoles in double figures. They both totaled 14. Devin Vassell, 13. Wyatt Wilkes, 11. Trent Forrest, 10. Florida State... Listen to this number. This is a staggering number. Florida State got 56 points off the bench. We talked about Miami and how they've had some bench challenges. Florida State got 56 of its 99 off the pine. They also had 22 second chance points off of 16 offensive boards. That could help them tonight. We'll talk about why in just a minute. Also, Florida State... Went 16 of 17 from the line. Another fairly significant story, considering something we'll talk about later on in the program. Second game, Saturday, Boston College with an overtime victory over Virginia Tech. Tech got two Nahima Lane free throws. They sent the game to another five minutes. Stephon Mitchell put in a layup with 10 seconds left, giving BC the lead. Landers Nolly then missed a triple, and Mitchell put away the game at the line. Mitchell had 21 to lead the Eagles. He knocked down 9 of 11 from the stripe, including the two that provided the final margin. Jay Heath had 18, Jarris Hamilton 11, Derek Thornton 10 for BC. The Eagles knocked down 11 threes in the game. Nolly paced all scorers with 29 in a losing effort. He drilled 12 of 22 from the field and snagged 11 caroms. Elaine scored 16, Tyrese Radford added 10. The real story here, the Hokies fall to 14 and 10 on the year. They're 5 and 8 in the ACC. They've now dropped 5 straight. We were talking about this team as a possible NCAA participant just a couple of weeks ago. Now, they're kind of hanging on for dear life to try and snag an NIT bid. I still say, and granted, awards aren't won based off of a couple of weeks, but I still say Mike Young has done an outstanding job in Blacksburg. 
And I think if you're not giving Mike Young credit for a wonderful year, you're really not paying attention. However, it's pretty clear the Hokies have hit a rough stretch. Pittsburgh beats Georgia Tech 73-64. This is also kind of alarming. We're talking about alarming stats. Tech had just two scorers in double figures. Michael DeVoe and Moses Wright had 34 of the Jackets 64. Georgia Tech got to the line just 15 times in the game. They hit 10. Another kind of frightening statistic. Georgia Tech committed 22 turnovers. Eight of those alone came from DeVoe. The win keeps alive Pitt's somewhat slim NCAA hopes, moving its record to 15-9, and 6-7 in ACC play. The Panthers turned 25 Georgia Tech fouls into 27 free throw tries, of which 20 found the net. We talked about Georgia Tech's turnovers. Pitt committed just eight miscues. Justin Champagne led everyone with 30 for the Panthers on 12 of 17 shooting. Trey McGowan scored 14 and Xavier Johnson 11, despite their combining to go just 6 for 22 from the floor and 2 for 10 from distance. One more game in the first segment that we'll recap and then we'll take our first break of the show. Louisville 80, Virginia 73. The Hoos had a three-game winning streak. That was snapped by the Cardinals at the KFC Yum Center over the weekend. UVA led 70-68, to that following two Kihei Clark free throws, just shortly after Chris Mack drew a technical. Tough time to draw one, but he did. The Cardinals answered with a 6-0 burst over the next two minutes that put away the Cavaliers. Another huge game for Jordan Wara. He poured in 22 for the cards and snared seven boards. Stephen Enoch and Malik Williams added 13 apiece for Louisville. This seems to be the day for crazy stats, and there's another one. Louisville did not even attempt a free throw in the first half. Virginia only won for three in the first half, but how does one go through an entire first half and never attempt a free throw? They didn't, but in the closing 20, Louisville hit 21 of 24 from the line as the officials kind of took over a bit. Virginia went to the line just 14 times on the day Saturday. They knocked down 10. If you're looking for positive notes out of this game, Thomas Waldatense had the kind of game that UVA has been waiting for all year. They've been looking for that consistent shooter, that consistent scorer, especially from beyond the arc, because they haven't really had a lot of it. They got Braxton Key in the Clemson game. They needed his performance to win that game. Waldatense almost willed Virginia to victory Saturday. He scored 27 on 10 of 13 shooting. He was 7 of 10 from 3. We talked about Kihei Clark. He had a 23. He was 8 of 13 from the floor, 4 of 6 from distance. Something that also has to concern the Cavs a bit. Mamadi Diakite had 10 points. However, he hit just 3 of 11 from the field and had 4 of Virginia's 7 turnovers. A couple of things to unpack from that. First of all, if UVA has a game in which it only turns the ball over 7 times, one would expect that they would win that game. Along those same lines, Diakite... In order for UVA to make a late run, to get back to the tournament, to get safely back to the tournament, and to make a run in the tournament, they need more consistency out of Diakite. You'll recall just months ago, Diakite was exploring his NBA options. He was a key cog in that Virginia National Championship team last year. This year, he's been woefully inconsistent, and UVA's needed a better effort out of him the entire season, and they've not really gotten it. A lot of it you can credit to the lack of Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome at all, but they need more from Diakite than they've gotten. They'll definitely need more to get into the NCAA and make a deep run with the Cavaliers. 
go ahead and take the first break of the program. We'll come back. I have a shocking admission to make. You won't want to miss that. Stay tuned. You're listening to Locked on ACC. Welcome back to Locked on ACC. Brian here. If you want to get in touch with me personally, you can do that following me at Sports Matters on Twitter. I will talk about all things ACC and non-ACC. Segment two of the program, I mentioned I have a shocking admission to make. I will make that at the end of this game recap. Duke 98, Carolina 96 in overtime. If you watched that game, you probably lived and died about 15 times during the course of that game. You saw those dumb jerseys, of course. We talked about that on Friday, and it's enough of that. Trey Jones had the bucket that sent the game to extra time. He missed a free throw with four ticks left. That was crazy enough, as it was. Cole Anthony, in overtime, hit two free throws, gave Carolina a 96-91 advantage with 20 seconds left. I was sitting next to someone at the time. When it got to 96-91, they turned to me and said, it's over. I said, no. I'm not willing to entertain that. It is never over, ever. I've seen that with a number of games I've covered, especially never over with these two teams. And Wow, did that turn out to be correct. Wendell Moore knocked down a bucket off a missed Jones free throw with 12 seconds left, leading to -to back-to-back timeouts. Let's talk about timeouts in just a minute, too. That's another topic. Trey Jones appeared poised to take the last shot, got fouled by Christian Keeling. Jones again missed the free throw. Moore snagged the board. And then Jones missed the game winner, and Moore got the put back to win it. Jones led all scorers with 28 on 11 of 25 from the deck, 0 of 4 from 3, and 6 of 9 from the line. Cassius Stanley added 22, Vernon Carey 18, Moore 17. Anthony led five Tar Heels in doubles. He had 24 points, 10 boards. Garrison Brooks tallied 18, but had five turnovers. One came at an incredibly inopportune time in overtime. Another solid game, too, for Christian Keeling. We talked about him last week. Keeling was 5 of 7 from the floor. He poured in 13. Armando Baycott, 12. Justin Pierce, 11. A couple of interesting numbers from this game. Carolina outscored Duke in the paint 40 to 30. However, Duke scored 25 points off turnovers. Nearly a quarter of its points off turnovers. Carolina had 11. Carolina turned the ball over 18 times, Duke 12. So if you look at Duke's conversion of turnovers, fairly impressive. The not-so-impressive. Carolina, 21 of 38 from the line, 55.3%. That's not a championship-level performance. It's even worse, though, if you consider that the Heels went just 12 for 28 if you take away Cole Anthony's 9 of 10. There's all this talk I saw today about, well, Trey Jones had hit free throws and Carolina loses in regulation. If Carolina doesn't miss 16 free throws that Cole Anthony didn't take, they win in regulation. See, this is the thing about Duke Carolina, and there's all this, well, when rivals meet, throw the records out the window. And sure, there is some of that. But for everybody who wants to point back to One particular instance on one side, there's another instance at which somebody can point on the other side. Personally, I'm just interested in the game for the game's sake. I didn't grow up on either side of the Duke-Carolina rivalry. I grew up to the north of it, as you all know. So 
for me, it's just watching it for basketball's sake. I don't live and die on either side of it. Let's talk, though, about timeouts. We, we mentioned we would go into timeouts. We talked about those back-to-back timeouts at the end of the game, at least the end of overtime. And then Ted Valentine's got a Ted Valentine. TV Teddy. I've uh, watched many games he's called. I've been in attendance covering several games he's called. But the trips to the monitor just... <sighs> They kill momentum, they kill the flow of the game, and they give teams timeouts at the end of the game. And I know it benefited both teams, and neither team had a timeout available, and et cetera, et cetera. But enough of this nonsense of spending just endless time at the monitor at the end of a game. And I know the counter-argument, I've heard it 500 times. Well, they got to make sure they get it right. This really matters. And sure, they do. But just limit the amount of time you spend at the monitor. You should be able to have the call, get it ready, make it. Don't spend minutes at the monitor. It's not necessary. Limit it to 30 seconds. If you can't make the call within 30 seconds, it stands. Move on. Also mentioned I had a shocking admission to make. Despite not growing up on either side of the rivalry and despite not really being a Duke fan, I'm a fan of Trey Jones. Gotta say it. I just I like the way the kid plays. I like who he is as a kid. And you'll recall last year, uh, our buddy Sean Crest commented on this. We at College Hoops Digest had a writer in the locker room. We noticed it too. Trey Jones, after they lost last year, sitting there just inconsolable, crying. And you'll recall Kay making the comment, if you're not crying, it didn't mean enough to you. Paraphrasing. Like I say, I'm not a big Duke fan. But... I'm a Trey Jones fan. Now that I've made that admission, it's probably good to go ahead and take a break. Let's get out of here. We'll come back, finish up our basketball roundup. A couple more quick things. Segment three ahead. You're listening to Locked on ACC. If you've been a listener to this podcast, you've probably heard all the great advertisers working with Locked on to reach sports fans. But what you may not know is that Locked on ACC is a great way for your local business to reach passionate ACC fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with ACC fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, let's put your company right here on Locked On ACC. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve locked-on advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back to Locked On ACC. Segment three, we'll wind up our basketball recap, talk about a couple other things. Let's go to... The first of our final two games, Syracuse 75, Wake Forest 73. Ismail Massoud drilled a triple with 21 seconds remaining, nodding the contest at 73. But then Bryson Goodine's layup with three seconds or so to play handed Syracuse the win. You'll recall that call if you watched the game. There was a miss that went straight to Goodine on the tip. You'll recall the, the call. Hughes, no. Goodine, Yes. Andrian White's final try at the buzzer would not fall, which would have won the game for a week. 
Just two Deeks finishing in double figures Saturday. Olivier Saar contributed 15. Shondi Brown, 14. Wake shot 37.7% from the floor, just 22.2% from three, but they did add 21 points from the line, 20 off turnovers, and 21 in transition. Buddy Beheim knocked down 9 of 18 from the field and 5 of 9 from bonus country. He led the orange with 23. Elijah Hughes scored 20. Quincy Gurrier, 13. Syracuse visited the line 30 times. They hit 24, but just 39.3% from the field. The Orange tallied 19 off of 15 wake turnovers. Then finally, Notre Dame beat Clemson yesterday 61-57. A Nate Leshesky layup and two John Mooney free throws in the final 45 seconds made this a seven-point contest. However, a Tevin Mack tray at the horn sliced it to four. Rex Fluger, Mooney, and TJ Gibbs combined for 44 of the 61 Irish points. They hit 15 of 27. The remaining Notre Dame players, however, went just 6 for 23. They were 1 of 12 from 3. Mooney added 11 boards. He was the leading contributor to Notre Dame's 35. Tevin Mack, Alex Hemingway scored 16 for the Tigers, though Mack hit just 6 of 16 from the field. Clemson went to the line just 9 times, hitting 8. The 8 free throws were 1 shy of the total makes Clemson recorded from 3 on 34 attempts. Tonight's lone contest, number 8 Florida State at number 7 Duke. A big one, 7 o'clock over ESPN. Duke minus 8 in that game. The ACC basketball standings as we sit here. Louisville atop the league. They are 12-1 and in the ACC, 21-3 overall. Duke 10-2, 20-3. Florida State 10-2, 20-3. Virginia 7-5, 15-7. Syracuse 7-5, 14-9. Notre Dame 6-6, 15-8. NC State 6-6, 15-8. Pittsburgh 6 and 7, 15 and 9. Boston College 6 and 7, 12 and 12. Virginia Tech now has slipped below the Eagles. They are 5 and 8, 14 and 10. Clemson 5 and 8, 11 and 12. Georgia Tech 5 and 8, 11 and 13. North Carolina 3 and 9, 10 and 13. Miami 3 and 10, 11 and 12 and Wake Forest 3 and 10, 10 and 13. There's your ACC basketball standings. As we wind down a couple of quick things to touch on first, D1 Softball released its top 25 earlier today. North Carolina slips into the polls. They are number 22, and they did it off of the strength of beating second-ranked Alabama over the weekend. They were playing in Tallahassee, the Joanne Graff Classic. Carolina scored five in the seventh. They beat Alabama 9-8. Alabama took an 8-4 lead in the top of the seventh. Then Carolina bounced back with a run-scoring single, and two run-scoring doubles wound up getting the 9-8 victory. So North Carolina softball starting the season off fairly strong. They are 2-2 two and two on the season and ranked number 22. Finally, a hashtag GoACC story. Thankfully, everyone's okay here. So we'll go ahead and put this in. But Dateline Polk County, Florida. An otter in Florida learned not to mess with mom when it attacked a 17-year-old and her dog and got thrown out of the family's house for its trouble. Gwen Ewart, 17, let the family's French bulldog scooter out on the back porch just before dawn Tuesday in Lakeland, Florida. She panicked when she heard fighting coming from the porch. I sprinted to the back door and I was like, Scooter! All I saw was like a big black ball just all over the place. So he stumbled in the door and I tried to shut it just as fast as possible, but then the otter got stuck, Gwen Ewart said. The commotion woke the whole house, and Gwen's mother, Cassina Ewart, burst in, tackling the otter. 
Yes, you heard that correctly. Tackling the otter. Hashtag tackling the otter. He and the dog are in a big tangled tumbleweed spinning around, Casina Ewart said. I snatched it by the tail and then I held it up like a prize. <laughs> oh, wow. Again, we're reading this because everybody's okay. The otter's going crazy. It was clawing at me and grabbing onto the backs of the furniture in my house. Cassina Ewart tossed the otter back outside before discovering it had bitten her daughter in the leg. The Ewarts took a trip to the hospital where the teenager got a rabies shot that day and a booster shot Friday. Scooter had received his rabies shot a few days before the attack. He was put under quarantine as a precaution. Cassina Ewart realizes tackling an aggressive otter in her home, hashtag aggressive otter, may not have been the smart thing to do, but her motherly instinct took over. Quoting, it's really not heroic. There actually was no thought process. Just run in, jump on the otter, she said. I think life is full of surprises, and you should just be ready for whatever. It's unknown whether the otter that attacked Gwen Ewart and Scooter has rabies because it's not been caught, but experts say its behavior was definitely abnormal. Anytime an otter's on shore going for a human, there's something not right. Usually they see you, they're gone, said Dustin Hooper, an animal trapper and owner of All Creatures Wildlife Control. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission set up traps to catch the animal. The agency says it received reports of an aggressive otter attacking another dog as well. Maybe they otter put that thing down. Yeah, okay. Boo away. Thus ends Locked on ACC for February 10th, 2020. Join us back here. Same place, same time whenever you listen to it. Enjoy Florida State Duke. We'll see you Tuesday. Thanks, everyone. Love you. Mean it. (laughs)